Your favorite cartoon characters will help you understand how drugs and alcohol can ruin your life. So watch the program. Talk about it with your family. Welcome to special presentation with Mike and Ethan, or Elf will not be seen tonight. So, how many of you are big fans of the Village Voice, huh? Come <laughs> on, show me some hands. Yeah, you fucking hipsters. Well, I've I've heard the Village Voice from that one Bloom County comic where they're hunting liberals. <laughs> They're hunting liberals, and uh, the guy's like, wait, let me at least read the Pfeiffer comic. <laughs> How ironic, because I believe that that's related to what we're talking about. That's right. We are talking about something that kind of grew organically out of that whole, you know, Greenwich Village scene, you know. But this was long before Greenwich Village was, you know, the Village Voice was printing ads that say instant piano that influenced Evan Dorkin and Kyle Baker and all those guys long before the village voice was the place to read the ads for they might be giants dial a song. It's just a phone call to Brooklyn free when you call from work. <laughs> no, what happened was there was a fellow who's, who had a really kind of lousy government grant to write a book about city planning for kids. Can you imagine trying to write a book about civic civics for kids oh boy it's, I, I bet it would be did did he ever actually write it <laughs> i don't know i was just like I, I was trying to think of how you would do it it was like would it be like sim city in picture book form or something but yeah anyway while he anyway he was writing down ideas for this and then he happened to bump into somebody who was scavenging through the trash looking for something to eat this person was the comic strip writer Jules Pfeiffer. Apparently, and... they don't comics don't pay the bills. <laughs> oh, don't they? Do you know? And this, and the fateful person who discovered him looking for something to eat was Norton Jester. And together they collaborated on a wonderful book, which is still in print today, has never been out of print The Phantom Tollbooth. Now, um, I've never read the Phantom Tollbooth, but Ethan, have have you? Have I read the Phantom Tollbooth? Da 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 da. Oh, uh, I did a review of the Phantom Tollbooth in person as the Hungry Reader, and also as part of that, uh, as part of that review, I did a bunch of uh, animations of some scenes that were that have never been produced in animation before. And this is where somebody else comes up. Somebody who's actually one of our listeners. Hi, Eli. It was the Cartoon Hero, another uh, internet reviewer, who uh, sampled some of my uh, some of my animations with my blessing for their own review of the of the Phantom Tollbooth, the the film this time. Oh, so this is gonna be, 
So this is actually the third time I've been involved with the Phantom Tollbooth. Wow. So it's my next biggest thing after The Wizard of Oz, I guess. I, um, yeah, like I said, I have not read the book, but I have watched the Hungry Reader video on this. So I feel like, um, I feel like I really know, uh, I, I feel like I know it, um, yeah, there's there is a lot to go through with it, but once again, you know, let's the if you don't know the definition of an isekai, think of the Phantom Tollbooth, a story where an ordinary kid gets, you know, flung into a wonderful world of you know whimsy and magic and yeah, yeah. So um, I guess is luckily there... Milo doesn't have to get hit by a truck while he's eating toast. <laughs> now. Um... The Phantom Tollbooth, uh, like you, me you mentioned, that it's it's illustrated by Jules Pfeiffer, the Village yes. Voice cartoonist, which is our in for for talking about it today. Um, yes, but was and it... to and just as a to make sure that we stay on topic regarding Jules Pfeiffer, I've taken pictures of all of his renditions of the characters so that we can compare them as we get to the character in the movie. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I'm curious. Did just so was he involved in the writing of this? Like, was it co-written by him, or was he just no? Okay. It was. It was a yeah. But well, it was written and illustrated at the same time. So I like to think that their uh, their work uh, dovetailed. I would think because uh, I understand that's actually fairly unusual in in books where you have the uh, illustrator and the writer in the same room, uh, actually seeing each other's work as it's happening. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes it can lead to, you know, it's good to have a close relationship with your illustrator, but at the same time, sometimes it can really bugger you up, like how The Wizard of Oz was illustrated by W.W. Denslow. And then every book afterward was illustrated by John R. Neal, because L. Frank Baum and W.W. Denslow had a huge fight over the proceeds from The Wizard of Oz play. Mm. Well, you know... That, you know, w. w. Denslow used his proceeds to buy an island and crown himself king. Did he really? Yes. And then he had to sell it and he died penniless. Oh, geez. I guess that island. Yeah. Where was the island? <laughs> uh, I don't remember. It was like off the coast of New York. I well, think. What? Boy, what a what a crap stack island. No wonder. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're going to buy an island, buy a good one. Jeez. Or maybe it was the Florida Keys. I don't know. Did, did So declare himself king. Was it then like America was like, all right, we're going to declare war on this. Denslovania. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, they were doing wag the dog. But. Uh... Uh, oh, oh, Blucks. It was Blucks Island, an island in Bermuda. Oh, wait. So not New York. Okay, I was yeah, I was totally wrong. Okay, well, yes, from, it's it's an island that really looks a lot like a child's drawing of a dick. So <laughs> that's probably why he bought it. He was like, oh, "This will be the funniest island ever." <laughs> In the early 20th century, the island was owned by illustrator William Wallace Denslow, who built a house there and declared himself King Denslow the First, Monarch of Denslow Islands and Protector of Coral Reefs. Well, good for him. Did, how, yeah. did, did he protect those coral reefs? Are they still there? Um, well, I mean, that was the early 20th century, oh, well. so it's, he died in 1915. So. Oh, well, all right. Uh, who was his heir? Or did the um, dynasty of Denslow, like, die out? Uh, Denslow died on March 29th, 1915 at the Knickerbocker Hospital in New York City of pneumonia following an alcoholic bender with $250, equivalent to uh, $6,300 today, obtained from the sale of a cover to Life magazine. Damn. Well, you know what? He he, uh, he died as he uh, he he died as he lived. 
drunk. Yeah, good for him. Uh, you know, it's that's that's the way I want to go out in Knickerbocker Hospital with six thousand dollars. <laughs> um, anyway, but we were sorry, we were derailing a little bit. The Phantom Tollbooth. <laughs> we are. Um, yeah, the the Phantom Tollbooth, which is yes, if you haven't read it, I do recommend it. It is a it is a wonderful book that is available in just about any library you care to care to visit. Um, now this, this book, like I said, I haven't read it, but my wife has, and she's a big fan of the Phantom Toll. Good. Um, I would love to see her renditions of some of the characters. Oh yeah. She actually, um, for that reason, she actually does not like this movie. Uh, she Hmm. was highly disappointed by it when she saw it for the first time as a kid because it left out a lot of stuff. Um, Oh, it did. It, it leaves, it leaves out, uh, several chapters. I, They, they, Parts of it get them get scattered here and there, but yeah, there is a a lot that gets left out of this. And no, in addition to your wife, another person who was not a big fan of this movie was Norton Juster. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, why was why was that? What was his beef? With uh, it? Well, for one thing, he had no input. Oh well, fair. Yeah. But another surprisingly was because it was too close to the book. An awful lot of the actual dialogue comes right off the page. Hmm. Um. That's interesting because yeah, certain things do work better on in on the page rather than in the you know in a vis- more visual uh, mobile medium, I guess. Hmm. Um, but... I was disappointed when I first saw it at age eight because I was such a big fan of the uh, no, not even the book, just the few chapters I had in this like textbooky thing that I had read. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember they did that back in the old days, teach you to read, right? You'd have excerpts yep. from stuff. I, yeah, I remember because one of my textbooks like that had that extremely sexy part from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader where Eustace turns into a dragon, and uh, I was like, "Yes," and then eats the other dragon. Yeah, because I was like, "Dragon's just, favorite food is fresh dragon." Oh, I just, just, I just think it's very interesting. Oh, I just, I just very interesting this bit. And then I like read, so I had to go read the actual Narnia book, and it's like, oh, he turns back. Fuck that. Boring. Yeah, but anyway, um, but yeah, so uh. A lot, yeah, a lot gets left out. Um, but I, I remember because watching the Hungry Reader video, actually, I was surprised at how much uh, extra stuff is not in this movie. So you watched the movie and then you watched my video? Thank you. Yes. Well, I watched the videos before I seeing the movie. Um, hmm. I watched this movie a lot when I was a kid. Um, oh. Mostly because we had it on tape. I mean, I think we record off TV. And you know how it is when you're a kid. The things you happen to have are the things that you'll watch over and over. Um, oh, yeah. I'd be very different if my dad had not recorded uh, Return to Oz off of KUSI TV 51 in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, so it was interesting to return and watch it again as an adult. Um, it's, it's, it's a, so this is a movie from 1970. Uh, it's a Chuck yes. Jones joint, and uh-huh. it is extremely 1970 and extremely Chuck Jones. So... It is super Chuck <laughs> Jones. This is the you know this is brimming with Chuck Jones goodness in every bite. All the eyebrows you can eat, all the little glances right at the camera. Yeah, yeah, and so so many horns. Just, just an horns. Int- yeah, like bah, 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 every time. You know the the. Like a, yeah, a lot of that going on in this. Um, and he was the co-director. The other director was Abe Levitow, who we've already seen a couple of months ago when they directed uh, 
uh, Shinbone Alley. Mm. Yeah, you can even you can feel a little of that too. It does have that vibe to it as well. Um, so I, I I enjoyed this movie, you know, well enough when I was a kid. I, I think it was one of those movies that like you know I'd watch if it was on. I wouldn't like you know I wouldn't demand it. I wouldn't be like put on the Phantom Toll booth, but but you know I'd watch it. Um, yeah. Mostly because I was like, look, let's get to the monsters. That's the good bit. Those, those are pretty <laughs> pretty cool. The monsters are very good. And there's a lot of monsters they left out, but uh, the ones they did include were very good. Yeah, yeah. I actually like was kind of disappointed after I watched your video. I was like, I was kind of like, yeah, it's too bad we didn't get to see like, you know, the, um, what is it? The, uh, uh, the, the word snatcher. Oh, yeah. I love him. <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, what you get is pretty good. Um, but yeah, it is extremely Chuck Jones, uh, and, and very 1970s. So, you know, your mileage may vary on a lot of that stuff. I, I, I don't know about you, but do you remember the, uh, uh, the jerk city comic about Phantom Tollbooth? I, I do not. Okay. Well, the dialogue is something like who wants to play Phantom Stollbooth? Ho hum. I'm bored. What's this? A magic's toilet cell? Honk bonk. Suddenly in toilet land. Earth Day, learning about numbers and letters and jizz. <laughs> you know, this is kind of like Sesame Street, except without the Sesame, and there isn't that much street either. <laughs> Actually, that's a that's 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 pretty biting. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the Phantom. To well, so, uh, Ethan, what would you call the Phantom Tollbooth? It's not a nonsense story, is it? No, it's. But it's not a make sense story either. No, is it? It's kind of an allegory, I guess. Yeah, I, there's a lot more allegory going on in this story than there is in The Wizard of Oz, despite what everyone seems to think. I heard that was about the gold standard. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, what parts are about the gold standard? Tell me. <laughs> um, well, the part where they're, they're on the yellow brick road, that represents gold. Uh -huh. And uh, the scarecrow represents the uh, agrarian sector, while the Tin Man mm -hmm. represents, you know, industry in the major cities. And the lion represents a lion... Uh, and those are the three <laughs> things that, that, that will benefit from uh, going on the gold standard. Yeah, farmers, industrialists, and lions. Yeah, you know, it's... it's, it's um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you're, I have, I'll have to ask your, what, eighth grade teacher? Yeah. Uh, I, I can't believe it. 11th grade. Oh, 11th grade. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying you come on. I mean, that somebody was doing this in a left and for juniors in high school, but you know, and whenever somebody says that, I'm always like, uh, okay, well, what about the, uh, giant spider that the, uh, cowardly lion decapitates? What does that represent? Um, that was, what about the queen? Of <laughs> that wasn't in the movie, so it doesn't exist. <laughs> What about the queen of the field mice? What about the Kaleidas? What about the 40 wolves that get their heads chopped off? What about the 40 crows that get their necks snapped? With 84 decapitations in this book, are you saying that no decapitation stands for anything? Um, well, they obviously stand for... Um, okay, I, I, I gotta not be honest. I don't even know what the whole gold standard thing <laughs> means. Me neither. It's just, it's just like... Well, it's good to have gold, right? I mean, that's we want more gold. We're going to print money to be equal to the gold. That's the thing. Yes, L. Frank Baum was making the making the point that we need to have more gold, and to do that, we need to catch those Smurfs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so, except sometimes, other times you just want to eat them. <laughs> sometimes we want to make a sexy lady Smurf to seduce them for some reason just yeah to 
catch them and turn them into gold. Oh, okay. I guess that was it. Didn't he want to? I'm pretty sure he pickled them in one episode, though. I mean, sometimes I think he just wanted to eat them. I, I, I know he often referred to them as little blue bonbons, but mm, no. I don't remember any episode where any Smurf got eaten. Well, yeah, I don't think they, they wouldn't put anything that hot in the Smurfs, you know? I don't know. I mean, there was Clockwork Smurf. Maybe there was also like Edible Smurf who was made out of cake or something. <laughs> yeah, one of Homnibus's experiments. <laughs> I, I, I do remember playing that stupid game where... You know, that let's get to know each other game where you have to declare yourself some kind of animal. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't think of any animal that began with an E because because Ethan was already taken or because elephant was already taken by someone else. Mm -hmm. So when it came around to me, it's like, I'm Ethan, the edible slug. And... <laughs> well, you know, it's it, it's it, technically it's a real thing because all slugs are yeah. edible. <laughs> At least once. I, I was thinking of how there's edible mushrooms and inedible mushrooms. I, I don't know if there's any inedible slugs I'm sure besides sea are, slugs that yeah. you definitely don't want to swallow. I'm sure some of them are probably poisonous, but like, you know, well, but yeah, actually, what about, yeah, like those ones that like, those ones that have the weird poison spear that like, you know, you know, you know those ones? Cone, sl cone snugs. Oh, cone snails. Cone yeah, snails, those are, yeah, yeah, damn. Yeah. Yeah, I was. That's pretty cool. Is that they've uh, evolved to lose a tooth in you that can kill you. Yeah, don't, don't eat them. <laughs> yeah. we'll, probably not a good idea. Um, why are we talking? Okay, wait. So we're talking. Wow, we got real off topic. Because gold standard uh, Oz. The gold standard Oz. <laughs> um, Phantom Tollbooth. Yeah. Phantom um, Tollbooth. Okay, Phantom Tollbooth. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, the movie The Phantom Tollbooth, which came out in 1970, which you may recall is one year after a, a boy named Charlie Brown, the movie that broke Disney's stranglehold. Wow. Yeah. So was this a theatrical film? Yes, this was a theatrical release and it was a huge flop. Huh. Huh. It really doesn't seem like it deserves it. I mean, it's it's a lot better than I think this is a lot better than the next thing Disney put out in 1970. But. What was uh, Disney's 1970 uh, offering? I think it was I think it's 101 Dalmatians. I might be wrong. Um, I'm gonna say um, if I had a choice, I would probably pick 101 Dalmatians. But hmm. the main reason for that is entirely because of the music in this film. If they cut the music in the Phantom Tollbooth, I would probably pick the Phantom Tollbooth over 101 Dalmatians. It's a, it's a, it's a tight race, is what I'm saying. Hmm. I don't think the 101 Dalmatians is particularly good. Um, I just I just got so irritated at the the music in this one. It's like every five minutes, it's like, oh, here another song. Okay, here we go. And um, it is 1970, so this is before music and cartoons was good. This is when. Uh, when you know they were like, we can't put anything with a beat in it. That'll like put the devil in children's blood or something. So all music and cartoons was just incredible, like just soporific lullabies. And yeah, the um, music is very, uh, very yeah, it's very lugubrious. Yeah, like I seriously, if 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 you forced me, like gun to my head, to like mention talk about to think of any catchy music that was in a children's animated film prior to the little mermaid i i you would probably have to i, I would die <laughs> i would probably die because it's all uh, we've had this conversation before though have we where there's a whip oh shit oh i forgot about that okay yeah there 
there's one. There, that's the exception that proves the rule. So that, that's, yeah. that's my uh, claim. Um, no, the, the music in this is pretty forgettable, but like, let, but if we pretend it doesn't exist, then it's, it's <laughs> no, no, actually, I'm being unfair. The, the song about noise is actually okay. Yeah, the song about noise is pretty good. And I don't know about you, but I would love to do like a like a fast punk metal version of Don't Say There's Nothing to Do in the Doldrums. That that would rule, actually. That would be very good. <laughs> um, yeah, but but like you said, like I even with the music, I don't think this doesn't deserve to be a flop. This uh, no, I'm I'm actually kind of confused as to why it was. It feels like. Um, I guess it just didn't catch on with people Were people in those days. Oh. Just, I don't know. Phantom Tollbooth, too weird. Phantom Tollbooth. Let's, let's look it up. Let's see what the reaction was. You know, let's see. Uh, release and reception. Let's see. Uh, Stephen Canfer reviewing for time complimented the film's animation, but remarked that the plot bogs the film down. More than 20 characters are thrown at the audience in 90 minutes. Children will barely be able to recognize them before they disappear forever. What? Um, what a dumbass thing to say. Yeah. Well, you know that honestly, I'm, I'm not surprised. I feel like when you have adult reviewers reviewing children's fair, they always completely miss what kids actually want in a movie you know like um i remember when like i because animal olympics was my favorite movie as a kid and every reviewer was like no kids won't like it there's no plot it's just a bunch of animals doing sports and it's like yeah kids will like it because it's i don't know it's animals doing sports kids like to watch kids like to watch lot long stretches of animation at once of course they'll like it yeah um, and this one, it's like kids are, I mean, I watched this all the time as a kid and I, and keep in mind, I was a kid who could not tell the characters apart in the never ending story. <laughs> I had no trouble remembering all the characters in this thing, which is actually pretty impressive considering that King Azaz and the math magician are kind of similar looking. I mean, except one's fatter than the other, but otherwise, I mean, they are brothers. Well, that, that is, sense. I, yeah, it's intentional. They're brothers and uh, they're both voiced by Hans Conrad. Yes. You can really hear it too. Um, <laughs> but I'm, what I'm saying is like, I could tell they were different characters, you know, even when they're not on the screen at the same time. So I don't know why this guy thinks that the kids are going to be confused. The only characters that kids might confuse are those like eight identical guys who like announce things. Those town crier Oh, yeah, guys? the ministers, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you're not supposed to tell them apart. That's kind of the point. Yeah. That they were identical even in the book. They they didn't have the one dude, but other than that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, critics just don't know what they're talking about, so. Yeah, especially the critics who focus on nostalgia. That's, exactly, exactly. I mean, well, what a big, big-lipped alligator moment. <laughs> um and he didn't even write that no he didn't oh he didn't uh no that was the one that everyone thought the gal that everyone thought was the good one and then she did something bad and disappeared forever oh boo on her then um yeah well good because i don't have to have people ta telling me that i should listen to her whenever i make say the channel awesome is bad people say, well you accept the nostalgia chick it's like shut up well she left Good. I just, my point is, if I say something's bad on Twitter, where I often say that, I don't want people coming in and telling me that I'm wrong. 
I, that to me yeah, is... I don't, mm-hmm. I don't come on here to be contradicted. My word is law. Exactly. It's like, in my Twitter is my castle. I am the king of Zaz of Twitter. And a lot of people come in here and say, like, oh, actually, uh, maybe you should, you know, rethink something. No. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what, do you think, uh, what do you think I am? A reasonable person? No. Uh, but anyway, uh, we were speaking of the Phantom Tollbooth. Yes. The Phantom Tollbooth is, you know, it is a uh, tour de force of great animation voices and one live action actor. It's Butch Patrick, who is probably best known for this and being the and being the uh, son on the Munsters. Oh, seriously? This was Eddie Munster? Yeah. Yeah, this is Eddie. He was wow. a little, I think he was a little older than when he was on the Munsters. Well, I mean, it is in color, so. Um... Yeah. That's interesting because uh, yeah, I, and you don't notice because he was look, dressed like a junior Fonzie the whole time. Yeah, um, I I did think this was interesting because we watched this on Amazon Prime, and you mm. know when you pause it, it'll it'll show like uh, act at the bottom like actors with their um you know their PR photos, mm. and the photo of uh of Butch Patrick was like. I don't know, like him, like when he's a little older and he appears to be like shirtless doing some sort of like bad boy pose. And it was like, <laughs> oh, he grew up. <laughs> he got he got ripped. Um, I no guess hope was, is too high, Milo. I mean, I think he was he was trying to get away from that Eddie Munster typecastings, you know, so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's the um, he's he's uh, does he voice Milo as well as do the live action? Yes, he's yes, he's the vo- yes, he's the live action voice and the animated voice. So. Yeah, we and we fade in on Milo, you know, having pretty much the exact same afternoon at school that we all did, where it just washes over you like a blur, and you're just like, "Who am I? Where am I?" That's every day in school. You... But after that, we see him wait, wait, Ethan, walking home. Ethan, what? What, they should have called this movie instead of the Fan Tollbooth called it School Days. Oh wow, wow, you're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Send in the clones. <laughs> <laughs> danger in a strange land oh that's the next thing he faces actually oh it is oh my god man you know norton jester really like missed out calling it the phantom toll booth <laughs> anyway. no it's called the phantom toll booth because it's about how uh young anakin was such a great toll booth pilot <laughs> <laughs> but anyway you're saying he's coming home from school yeah he's coming home from school and it things aren't any different there because as our our i guess title song uh what's to become of milo is playing we get to see his extremely long walk home from school my god he's he's got to go a couple of miles and you know he takes a long walk and takes a trolley i guess he lives in san francisco and yeah we were trying to figure that out but those those buildings are definitely the very kind of cramped together ones you see in in Frisco, as the kids say. Yeah. And the and there's all this all this, uh, you know, those big wooden tunnels that they have when they're doing work on a sidewalk, mm. that kind of thing. And we see him pass by a big cement mixer and kids who are like inviting him to play. And he's just ignoring everything. And he walks by this petting zoo with goats reaching, craning their necks over it. And he doesn't even look. And I'm like, God, kid, pet the goats. <laughs> if that was me, I would have named them by now. So we're saying that uh, uh, Milo is suffering from, I believe, uh, not being a team player. 
Yeah. <laughs> just, just one of probably many of my previous jokes we're going to be revisiting. <laughs> well, it's easier than thinking of ones of my own. It's like, why do that? I can just steal ones that are already good. So, yeah. Yeah. Milo is having some real having some real issues with taking any kind of interest in the world around him, whether he's whether he's at home. When he's at home, he wants to be at school. And then we no wait. When he's at school, he wants to be anywhere else. Mm, yeah. And he Now this is this is the kind of thing that in a book you can just uh you can just have the narrator tell us, but in this movie he gets called up by a friend of his who seems to have similar attitudes, whose name is Ralph. Yeah, and uh I realized I didn't realize this as a kid, Ralph is uh June Foray in this. Yeah, it's June Foray, and this is this character does not appear in the book. And Chuck Jones was talking about it, and he said, "Well, we couldn't have him get called up by a friend by a friend named John or Frederick. It had to be Ralph because that sounds like a wet shoe." You know, though, um, <laughs> I, I may be wrong on this because I haven't uh, done any research at all. But didn't Chuck Jones have a series of cartoons with like a little daydreaming kid named Ralph? Yes, then those those were his. So, do you think it's the same kid? <laughs> well, think about it. After having met the Phantom Tollbooth, wouldn't his imagination have become much more vivid? Since wow! Had... So this interesting is interesting like, tie-in here. This is a prequel to the uh, I don't know what those cartoons are called. I always just call them the Daydreamer cartoons. But yeah. On the other hand, Chuck Jones also has Ralph the Wolf and Sam the Sheepdog. That's true. I get maybe just like the name. <laughs> so yeah so ralph had his amazing adventure on the toll booth and then grew up to be a wolf <laughs> oh they said i could be anything <laughs> so yes as he's having this you know set this disappointed conversation about how small and in uh, disinteresting the world seems to be uh milo happens to hear a weird noise and a huge wrapped present has arrived for him in his room. Yeah, it's uh, and uh, it's it's basically like if you're and it's got a little thing on it that says if bored, pull tag, which he does. Yes. And um, it is it is a toll booth. Yes. The, the, the gift assembles itself into a toll booth. And not only that, it also provides him with a car. Yeah. Um, so I do like that, uh, the, this literally is just like a movie about like a kid is bored. So the toll, so this, so a thing happens. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've been bored a lot. This never happened to me. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause yeah, then, then they, the toll booth is all like, well, it, it assembles itself with a, you know, a symphony of typical Chuck Jones horns. His really bombastic horns. Yep. And um, it says basically that uh, and then it's all like, OK, he gives him a car and it's like, you're going to go into this 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 world of the Phantom Tollbooth. And yeah, it has a speaker, but we never see who's on the speaker. It's the same voice as uh, Dr. Discord, though. Oh, so who does that voice? Uh, I forget the voice actor's name. Hang on. Uh, it's uh, it's Cliff Norton. Oh, OK. This... And... I, I couldn't tell you who, what else he did. 
this movie is uh is it's from a previous time before they just started getting celebrity voices because it has got like you know like like you said every uh professional uh voice actor of its day there's mel blank there's dawes butler um you got june foray and hans conried mm-hmm. of course so you know it's 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 star studded um all these voices that y'all you'll recognize from well you know a lot of them actually won't because they're they they really mix it up um june foray even does different voices for once she doesn't just do the hag voice though we do yeah, get to did. hear that voice we get the hag voice but we also get two different pretty princess voices yeah, so I think I owe June Foray an apology since I was also like, she just does the old witch voice. <laughs> well, and she doesn't do the jokey Smurf voice in this. So. No, no. And I guess she was Natasha, too. So I guess she had a bunch oh, of yeah. voices that I didn't. Uh, uh, I was a real jerk. <laughs> I apologize, June <laughs> Foray. Um, but yeah, she, she does a, a few things here. Um, what, um, uh, yeah, but basically what happens is like, like, Milo's going to go into the Phantom Toll booth, and uh, the the Toll booth's like, you got to pick a destination. And he's like, all right, so fine. So he randomly picks the castle in the air. Could, yeah, this Oh, booth... can we talk about how awesome this map is? I want a, I want a print of this. That is a map that looks like it should be, you know, if, if you were in the, um, I don't know, in like the 80s, and you had a children's book, bought a children's book that was part of like a series you know, about like, I don't know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, otters and waistcoats or something that live in a holler. <laughs> that would be the map that would be in the inside front cover. You're right. It looks like the map on the inside of all the Teddy Ruxpin books. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Or the Sectars books, yeah. It, it also kind of reminds me a little of like, uh, you know, the uh, Brian Froud Dark Crystal um Oh, yeah, well. yeah, I see it. I wonder who drew this map. Mm. And I don't think it was Chuck Jones himself. That would be a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. It is funny that the entire um, plot of this movie being set into action by just a series of random coincidences. Like, oh, we're going to pick a board, kid, and like, uh, pick a place to go, kid. All right, here. All right, here we go. Because um, if he had just picked like, yeah, let's 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 go to expectations. This would have been a very different and much shorter story. <laughs> it's true. Now, in the book, he picks Dictionopolis as the place he wants to go. And from there, he decides to go on the quest. Oh, that's interesting. So in the book, he actually, because I was talking about this with uh, my wife. I was like, it's funny because I thought like he, he isn't undertaking a quest. It's literally just random. He has to go to the castle in the air so that he can go back. That's really it. Um, he's going to drive there and back, you know, Um but uh, I guess he kind of gets tasked with a quest because he's all like, oh, yeah, I'm going there anyway. Might as well get rhyme and reason, you know? <laughs> also, this doesn't have a this doesn't really affect the book, the movie at all. But in the book, he has to assemble the toll booth himself. Oh, and interesting. yes. And and he he just has the car. It mentions that he has this old electric kitty car that he hasn't driven in months, maybe years. Hmm. OK. So um, I guess they, well, I guess. Yeah, they... that's a little bit of economy of storytelling there, but. Uh, yeah. Huh. I mean, but, I guess... but that makes room for the part where he goes through for the first time and realizes he's a cartoon. Yeah, I really like that bit. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Gee, boys, I'm all fully. <laughs> um, I also really like the animation um, on uh, Cartoon Milo in this movie. Um, yes they it's whenever because there's a, a lot of scenes of like you know uh 
cartoon Milo encountering, you know, some wacky character. And what cuts back to him, he's always got this like this can you believe this asshole expression? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get a lot of that Chuck Jones glancing at the camera with your lips kind of pursed. Yeah. But he does that really well. So. Yeah, it's like, you know, play to your strengths. It's probably best and better in, in The Phantom Tollbooth than anywhere else I've seen it. It just works so well. Um, so so there's, there's it's a, you know, I mean, as much as I was complaining about some of the things, there's a lot to enjoy in this film, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, so he goes he goes through the, the Tollbooth and uh, he's on his way to the castle in the air. And yes. Um, what is he? I guess the first thing he meets is, um, well, he goes through a bunch of like expectations and stuff, but well, first, yeah, first he meets Officer Short Shrift. Oh, that's right. Who's is he in the book? He's like this, yeah, he's in the book. He looks a little different, actually. You know what? I've been, I have been remiss, I have not been sharing, like I said, what these characters look like. Oh, yeah, like let's in the see them. So, let's here, see, let's see yes. Officer Short Shrift. Okay. So in the just... in the movie, if you haven't seen it, he's like a short little cop who has like his 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 hat pulled over his eyes, so he just sees big square jaw, and he instead of having a feet, he's got like a little wheel, like a little unicycle wheel, but he can ratchet himself up and down so that he's taller or shorter. And yes. he 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 drives around on his little wheel yelling guilty 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 all the time and he's basically like you know your typical asshole cop that like you know pulls you over and busts your taillight you know like that sort of guy yeah pretty much you know all all that's missing is for him to be like looks like we got us some yankee troublemakers yeah exactly <laughs> but here is how he looks in the in the book okay so in the it looks like actually um the the main he looks pretty similar is he's a short little guy with his visor over his uh his eyes kind of he's kind of got that same you know like meathead look um yeah the, the, there's only there's one major difference and it is an extremely major difference is he doesn't have wheels he's got normal yes, feet, he has feet. Mm -hmm. so is he just a normal cop in the book yeah he's a and they don't meet him until they get to dictionopolis in the book huh interesting um so he's is he like a cop of Dictionopolis in the book? Yes, yes, he's the one who, yeah, uh, all all the stuff that you see him do in Dictionopolis happens in Dictionopolis in the book. Okay, so. well, I guess that makes more sense actually than the movie where there are where he he's he's like he ra randomly shows up in Dictionopolis and it's like oh is he he he's the cop of the world I guess he's the world cop <laughs> of Phantom Tollbooth Land. Um, well, it the road did say this road to Dictionopolis, so I guess it's still in his jurisdiction, his county, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess also they were like, look, we maybe we should introduce these characters a little more, do a little uh, Chekhov's gun type shit. So they aren't yeah, just popping in. Like the guy said, you know, you you see these characters and then you never see them again. But in this case, you do see them again. Yeah. They, they made sure to give you an extra another opportunity with uh, Officer Short Shrift. So you would get to know his him and his guilty, guilty, guilty. Actually, yeah, I feel like the only character that, you know, kind of just pops in and we don't see again is um, Dr. Discord. And even he's got a role to play because that's where they get the, uh, you know, the jar of laughter that they use yeah. later on so it's not like it's a yeah. completely you know it's not like it's a completely worthless thing or not worthless but you know like um just 
not like it's a big it's not a big alligator, lift alligator moment, moment. <laughs> yeah as they would say um but uh uh yeah because officer short shift shows up again the weatherman shows up again um, yes. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the weatherman, that's his next uh, stop. Is oh yeah, a place called Expectations. Let's let's see the weatherman. Yeah, the weatherman in this movie, I likened him to Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I, I see it. Um, he yeah, he's got this union suit with a big collar and a big uh, and a big uh, scarf, and he's kind of and he's always dangling from balloons, just like Winnie the Pooh. So that's probably what they were thinking of. He's kind of Pooh shaped as well. I mean, like the yes. bear, not like. Poo. <laughs> um no i have to say now in go on oh excuse me. i was gonna say the weatherman is my least favorite character in this movie <laughs> really <laughs> i actually think he's kind I, of annoying he is kind of annoying yeah but you know i like how i like the thing he does where he steps into his umbrella and then just sort of walks on it like one of those umbrellas that you uh spin a ball on yeah yeah I mean, <laughs> it's a weird thing that's kind of fun it looks like though in the book, he he looks like a like a, a a Greek dude, like a Greek philosopher with toga and sandals and a beard. Yeah, he look he looks like a monk more than anything else to me. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, yeah, this this one they changed quite a bit. Uh, I'm getting a whole different vibe from this weatherman, um, though. But you can see that he has the exact same dialogue. That yeah, kind of yeah. In the picture. Maybe they were like, "Look, we need to make him a little cuddlier for the kids." Um, yeah. People, yeah, kids are afraid of beards. Yeah. Now, is the the weatherman? I think is the weatherman is mentioned as being the brother of the witch in the movie. Is that also in the book? No, actually, the witch has. She gives a different uh, uh, familial relation in the book. She says that she's the king's great aunt. Oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense why she's in Dictionopolis then. Yes, meaning that she is the aunt of of the of the recently deceased King Wisdom, who. Uh, King Azaz and Mathemagician are both the sons of. Oh, okay. That makes more sense with the plot, but I have to say thematically, it makes more sense to have the witch and weather related, you know, since they're yeah. both um, questions, I guess. Yeah. It would make more sense for him to be her son, I think, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, okay, so the weatherman shows up and he, he kind of, I guess his thing is that he's all like, yeah, I, I'm weather man and that I'll tell you whether there's going to be a change in the weather or something. Yeah, is that's that a, a, yeah, his his role, he says, is to hurry people along so they don't never so they get further than just expectations. Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of puns going on in this. This is my jam here. <laughs> yeah, this is well, it is an allegory, you know. Um, My favorite pun doesn't get included in this, which is when the mathemagician takes Milo, Talk, and the Humbug all the way to the beginning of the mountains simply by carrying the three. <laughs> oh, that's actually really good. Yes. Wow. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Good on him. Um, that's better. They, why, they, of all the things they dropped, they should have put that in. Cause I mean, a lot of the puns in this are, yeah, they're all right. But like, that is uh that is choice. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there is so much going on in this movie that even if like Mike, you're a fan of my review of it, there's still so much. I didn't include can be what's can be. Oh, well, he's this guy who's as strong as can be, and as weak as can be, and as nice as can be, and as mean as can be, so he could only be, can be. Oh! Actually, that's that's pretty funny, too. Yes. 
And he lives on the island of Conclusions, which you jump to. Oh, yeah. I hear most people just stay there, though. <laughs> and you and you have to swim back from it. But it's OK. You can swim all day in the Sea of Knowledge and never retain any. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the Phantom Toll was like you said, it's an allegory. And I feel like. You know, it's an allegory I, for a lot of stuff at once. It, it well, I mean, it's it's a weird allegory because it's basically like, um, yeah, like you said, it's a lot of stuff. So really, what it gets in the end, it's basically like, okay, look, what we've learned from this is that good things are good and bad things are bad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> thank you, Mister Jones. <laughs> it's like a. Um, you know, it, it's like a an Oliphant uh, car, cartoon where everything's got labels on it, you know? Um, oh, yeah. But Very um, literally when you get to Dictionopolis and they're crossing a hill that just says, high hill, high hill, high hill. Yeah. I mean, that a lot of that's pretty funny, I think. I, I like a lot of that. But, um, you know, I, I, again, it sounds like a complaining, I'm, uh, but it's, it's kind of neat. It's kind of a fun thing. Um, but I'm trying to think of, like, I know there are other stories that, that kind of that do this sort of thing, but I am having a hard time thinking of ones. I mean, a lot of like, um, you know, a, a, especially a lot of like uh, Christian's children entertainment does this sort of thing. Mm, I mean, it's all basically yeah. like Pilgrim's Pilgrim's Progress for kids, but I'm yeah. having a hard time thinking of another one that really does it as as um, uh, that really leads into it as much as the Phantom Toll Booth, you know. Uh, would you count through the looking glass because it's all a big, all an actual chess game and you, you can trace who wins and who loses by treating Alice as a pawn? I sort of, I think like the thing is like, that is like, and it's an allegory for like a, a very specific thing. One so particular chess game. Yeah, yeah. Everything ties into that, which is funny when you're like, oh, this isn't a nonsense story at all. Um, but then like, uh. Uh, this is just like, look, everything. We're going to throw everything at the wall. Um, what You know, like, what are the bad guys? Uh, ignor the, 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 the demons of hate. They live in the mountains of ignorance on the plain of rudeness. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> Behind the mesa of bad table manners. Yeah, you know, it's just like, it's just like, okay, the, the, just every, just, it's like, okay, bad things there. But how does... But it's also weird because, like, well, how does that also relate to the the main conflict here about between numbers and letters? They don't like each other. What? Okay. <laughs> so, all right. It's all over the place. Um, well, which... the real, I guess the real idea here is that, you know, the ki King Wisdom came and uh, conquered the demons of uh, ignorance and superstition and made the kingdom of wisdom. So these are all things that are outside of, you know, of the, the basics of numbers and letters. But there, but of course, the whole point is that Azaz and the mathematician are wrong in the first place. That neither one of these are more important. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of I don't know. I may be completely off base with this now, but you know, nowadays I feel like a lot of art, um, especially um, art for kids, like movies and stuff like that, it it really has to have like. You know, it's very important to have like a, a theme or a, a moral lesson or a meaning in it. So you, you watch it and at the end you're like, I, I understand what I'm supposed to get out of this. You know, this is I have been educated by this experience. And, um, you know, that, that's fine. And a lot of that's, you know, a lot of things kind of feel more right to us having consumed them if they have like, you know, a, 
a, a central message they're trying to impart. And it's interesting because the Phantom Tollbooth is nothing but these little messages, so it feels like it should be extremely didactic, but the fact that it's kind of just all over the place with like a million messages that don't seem to add up to like one central theme or idea it actually just makes it like oh this is just a lot of fun we're having we're we're just like yeah we're, we're just having this rollicking adventure with a lot of puns and goofy you know um goofy labels on shit but we're, we're not actually at the end it's like have we learned anything not really we just we just had a fun adventure <laughs> you know but it's just odd to think that it, it adds up to something that's that's uh very different from what you would think from the you know the sum of the parts Remember what I said about how uh, Norton Juster was working on a book about city planning? Yes. Some of it got worked into the Phantom Tollbooth, not as a part that got included in the in the movie, though. There is a scene in the book where Milo and his friends have entered the Forest of Sight, mm. where they meet a new friend meet a new friend named Alec, a boy who who is six feet tall, but his feet don't reach the ground, and. Because he sees things from an adult's perspective, and he's leading them through the through the forest, and he says, uh, "Oh, he says, oh, I live in a city near here called Reality." And Milo sees this absolutely gorgeous city ahead of them that just looks like an absolute utopia. Is that it? No, no, that's illusions. Reality is over here, and he's looking around and he can't see anything. Like, where where's reality? You're standing in the middle of Main Street. And, and reality is invisible because nobody looks at it and and illusions is beautiful but nope but there's nothing there <laughs> well well so true though and the humbug says well why don't why doesn't they, everyone live in illusions he's like well a lot of people do but it's just as bad to live somewhere that doesn't exist <laughs> as it is somewhere that is and you can't appreciate it and we all live there now Yep. <laughs> Welcome 2021, people. <laughs> still a little better than last year, but uh, yeah, there's yeah. still a few more months to yeah, we'll, to uh, we'll screw see. that up. Well, wait, wait for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> and so, but yeah, now after after his visit to uh, expectations, Milo kind of gets off course and gets a little too lackadaisical with his driving and ends up in this gooey swamp called the doldrums. Yeah, I really liked this part as a kid because um, well, it's funny because my wife, when we were watching it, she was like, oh, I bet you hated this. And this was just the worst, grossest thing to you because she knows how <laughs> much I despise the greedy sequence in Raggedy Ann and Andy, a musical adventure. Oh, really? Hmm. It is. It is probably the second or third most despised thing in that movie. Uh, I hate a lot <laughs> of, of that movie. Um, but um, but this did not bother me at all. Um, be, because the thing, something, the greedy. It's not that it's it's like goo that upset me. It's something about the the animation being just more threatening. Yeah, it's. Yeah, the animation in the greedy sequence is like seeing vomit being stirred. Yes, yes, that's a good way to put it. You know, you know what? I, I I didn't put it together before, but I just realized that the greedy was probably a big inspiration on my concept for the mush pot. Oh, interesting. Um, I can see. Well, you know, well, if that's true, then at least something good came out of that movie. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, the uh, this though with the the goo here, the way it's done, actually, I think is kind of neat. Um, the doldrums are a little like, I guess they're like little gelatinous. Yeah, the dold. Yeah, the doldrums is the place. The residents are the lethargians. Oh, that's right. That's right. So the lethargians, they're like little kind of. Um, they're basically little slime people. They they um and they're not really people. They can they can do all sorts of things. They stretch and squash and combine and divide. They're almost like amoebas, I guess. Yeah. Amoebas as drawn by uh by Johnny Hart. Yes, they do have a very Johnny Hart look to them. I think a big reason I like this part as kids is they had snouts. So they look vaguely <laughs> kind of reptilian in that sense. And I was like a big fan of that sort of thing. Um, you like reptiles. Yeah, you know, just reptiles. Oh, well, what if what if I was a dragon? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, wow. um, though in the book, <laughs> they just look like, had haunches. They look like little people, though. In like nightgowns. Yeah, they... <laughs> I mean, they look so, like yeah. are they wearing the little like the little night shirts with hoods and everything? Yeah, the yeah, then the uh the artwork version, they are not considered to be like they're not described as slimy or anything. They they simply are the same color as whatever they're sitting on. Mm, okay. So Which they which they took in okay, okay, why would they be transparent? Wouldn't we see their bones? Maybe they have no bones. Maybe they're slimes. So Yeah, I think um I think this was actually a, a very good choice. You know, it's much more dramatic visually especially with like the car getting caught in slime and everything. And uh, yeah, you know, it gives like this musical number. There's a, it gives you a lot to look at as you watch these lethargians just like oozing around. Yeah. This is what I was talking about with both regarding, you know, really lugubrious. I don't think that's even what lugubrious means, but it's what the word sounds like, isn't it? I've always said that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Lugubrious, I believe means doubtful, but Nobody uses it that way. <laughs> no. Everybody uses it to mean... It means slow and gooey. <laughs> yeah, it sounds... Sludgy. Yeah, it sounds like a bucket of molasses, so, you know. Yeah, um, so you're in molasses swamp. You're in molasses swamp. Yeah, um, so th these guys, uh, this is, I mean, this is a fun sequence. Um, it's it's a little, um, yeah, it's 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 a sort of thing that, like, when we were saying, like, oh, yeah, um uh, a lot of children's <laughs> Christian entertainment kind of takes this allegorical path. This is the sort of sequence you would definitely see in like, you know, um, uh, who mania or uh, McGee and me, you know, where, the, where <laughs> a version of the, uh, the a child being tempted by, you know, a, a stand in for the devil to, I don't know, be, do bad things that children shouldn't Oh, do. that's your favorite thing, though. So, I yeah. love that shit. Yeah. That's probably another reason I really like this, because I, I found that sort of thing very like, when I was a kid, I thought it was, I don't know. I w it was one of those things that to me was very upsetting, but also very like compelling. You know, I'm sure that everyone's got those things when you're a kid where you got that, um, attraction revulsion thing to concepts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and again, my, there's a, we got a screen cap of Milo, um, reacting to a lethargian. <laughs> so there are some very memeable faces in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> This and like the face that Milo makes when he's conducting the symphony. Oh yeah, yeah. That's there's some good stuff in here. Well, I mean it's Chuck Jones, so that's yeah. kind of a strange. Chuck Jones, yeah, you know, he loves to animate faces. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, actually, I just realized something. Uh, we're coming up in an hour, so uh, oh. we are barely into this film. So uh, I think we got another two-parter going on here. Yep. 
Well, it's a movie that tends to be our uh, our mo. So. Yeah. Well, that's good. So why don't we uh, why don't we call this part one and uh, we'll resume talking about uh, everyone's second favorite character, Talk, next yes. week. Yes.